Hey everybody, Stuart here. First thing, uh, I'm sorry that we didn't get to release our episode last week. We were just busy. It's a busy time of year. And secondly, this has been bothering me. The The audio on this just doesn't sound quite right. And that's because we had the air conditioner running because it's so hot. And then I tried to do a noise reduction thing to get rid of the background air conditioning noise. And I think it just made our audio sound kind of garbled. But I'm aware of it and I'm sorry about that. And I'm trying to make our audio better. So thank you for listening. This is the real action. The pot party. The trippers. The grasshoppers. The hip ones. All gathered in secrecy and flying high as a kite. Hola! <laughs> and welcome to Trippin' Through Time! My name's Stuart. Uh, I'm Randall. And this is the podcast where we talk about drugs, the mm-hmm. history of drugs, mm-hmm. psychoactive ones. Yeah, and the science, and the, and science, the culture. And the culture of those mm-hmm. psychoactive drugs. <laughs> Best intro ever. Gotta keep it fresh. <laughs> Um, today is episode 22? That's right. I believe? Yes. We were out last week. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the title yet, honestly. We'll put it up. Oh, um, yeah. It's, we're gonna go from insane asylums yeah. to the German pharmaceutical industry. Crazy. Cra- okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Um, so we're gonna span a lot of things, um, but I, I guess we're kind of dipping into, um... I'll leave it a secret. I'll leave it a secret. Let them listen. Yeah. Um, Also, I wanted to give a quick update about something that happened recently in drug news. Um, A guy that was serving a double life sentence um, for LSD trafficking uh, and manufacturing. And he's claimed to sell over... (laughs) She's sniffing my leg. It's so cute. My dog. Um, over ninety percent of the world's LSD in the nineties, yeah, early 2000s. in the nineties, early two thousands, was coming from him. Uh, William Leonard Picard is being released after twenty years of time served, um, and I think it's effective as of yesterday or something. Um, so it's pretty interesting. And he got released because of coronavirus. Pretty much, as far as I can tell, that's what it. Uh, the court statement read. Um, mm. That's what the they said. And the DEA urged not to release him, of course. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I'm i not saying if this is a good or bad thing. Um, we're going to actually talk about him next episode. Uh, and not, stay tuned for that, because it's a crazy story. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to it. There's a lot that, that really makes you question, like, you know, a lot of times, you know, in the, like, hallucinogenic community, I feel like people are like kind of hippies mm-hmm. and this guy really does seem like a drug dealer <laughs> yeah not a great guy no yeah. as far as i know so let's we'll, we'll take a look at that yeah, we'll so discuss yeah um uh, yeah so without further ado episode 22 nice <laughs> i expect a rhyme for everyone though. okay listen to you and me episode 23 there you go we all you busted all right we're back we're back yeah, all we're right. back <laughs> It's gonna be yeah, a funny some edit. Bad, uh, bad rhyming, bad guys. We gotta cut it out. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Okay. So um, first, I'd like to talk about this fifty-four forty oh, right. beer. Drink. It's from fifty-four forty, mm-hmm. the best brewery in the world. <laughs> it's a cucumber goza. Oh, it's a goza. Not yeah, a sour. it's supposed to be the same thing. Goza is really? a type of sour. Goza is like a traditional. I feel like it's more beery. 
Yeah, it's usually a little more beery. Kills are nary. nary. <laughs> smells like a, like just someone put like a cucumber slice in beer, like cucumber beer instead of cucumber water. Dip to full cucumber. Interesting. Very cucumber. It tastes exactly like that. Just tastes like cucumber, then beer. Huh. You know, I actually kind of like it. It's not bad. It's refreshing. It is really refreshing. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a beer. I like it. Do you really? That's one of my favorites. Really? Actually. Yeah, you like that cucumber? Yeah, and it's 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 nice. I yeah, like that nice. actually. It has it's a little bready finish. It's a little bready finish. Yeah. yeah, I like the bready finish. I would like that a lot. I do like it, but I wish it didn't have the cucumber. I don't like the taste of cucumber unless I'm eating a cucumber. Yeah, I can see that. But I like it in this one. Yeah, it's really nice. She's just softly licking my foot. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10? I like that one, actually. I'm a weirdo, so. Okay. Ready to get into it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Randall. Yes. When I walk down the street here. Yes. Have yes. we told the people where we live? Oh, yeah, we have. In yeah. Portland. We live in Portland, which is crazy right now, by the way. Yeah, things are popping off. Yeah, we're, we're making national news. Yeah, and I just want people to know that, like, if I didn't read the news, I would not know what was going on. I know, me, like, d- me neither. Pe- people have, like, asked me, are you alright, like, mm-hmm. living in Portland? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a tiny little part. Yeah, it's right downtown. I, I wouldn't even know what's happening. Anyhow, anywho, when I walk down the street, I see a lot of homeless people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these homeless people are homeless because they have yeah, you're, they're mentally ill yeah they're yelling at you yeah they're talking to themselves you think they're yes. crazy you think they're crazy and these people just need help mm-hmm. they need they do and i feel like then the issue would go down a lot you know mm-hmm. these people aren't lost you know they're not beyond repair mm-hmm. they they're just members of society that need help and they didn't get where they are because they didn't work hard or they gave up right because they have a serious a lot of them have a serious mental illness yep. that society has refused to treat yep terrible and yeah and then it can be kind of when you see so many of these people you kind of lose compassion because they just mm-hmm. become a statistic yeah it's all oh there's another crazy guy yeah. on the street yeah and honestly you kind of stop seeing them and, yeah. which is sad it no is one should sad. be invisible no and so that got me thinking, wow, we live in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, mm-hmm. and we still have this problem. Imagine mm-hmm. how bad it was in the medieval times. Right. Wrong. Yeah. Oh. Wrong, which oh, is sad. Oh, wow. Uh, so you're telling me things haven't just been getting better? <laughs> nope. I'm telling you we're doing worse oh. than what I'm about to talk about, which is the Islamic Empire in the 800s. Wow. Okay. They were one of the first... <laughs> <Taking us> back. <laughs> they were one of the first people to have a record of institutionalized assistance for mentally ill people oh, in the wow. 800s. Okay. These places were called... Um, Bismartistans, ah. which are really just hospitals, but they had okay. a wing to help mentally ill people. Okay, wow. Um, and they uh, were... I mean, I'm just, I'm baffled by that because from what I know about like Galen and bullshit like mm-hmm. that, like they thought like women were like wandering uteruses. Like, I know. I can't believe they were believing in mental health. Well, this is the Islamic world, which, believe it or not, was one of the most advanced. Yeah. But places and culturally then we went way down and then back up yeah they're having some down. troubles now but back then they were one of the most advanced mathematically scientifically cultural places at the time wow. very cool place to live 
Um, and this, these Bismarta stands were, pe- were, were, I think, publicly funded. I couldn't really get a clear source. Mm-hmm. But there are places where anyone went to get medical treatment. The rich, the poor, anybody. Wow. And this included mental whoa, health. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you talking about some sort of unified healthcare system? Isn't that strange? In the yeah. 800s? In the 800s, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't great. Like, you'd go there and they'd just throw leeches at you. But at least, like... <laughs> yeah, they would. <laughs> like, they were trying, though. At least they were trying. Jesus. Um... Sorry. A guy named Ahmad Ibn Tulun mm-hmm. built a hospital in Cairo, Egypt, Egypt. in 872 that uh, part of what it did was provide care to mentally ill people. One of the prescriptions was actually musical therapy. Wow. Which is, which is a thing now. And pretty cool, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> it's just a guy with a lute. Feel <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what accent that was. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, we shouldn't idealize it because I'm sure there are still thousands of people that couldn't get help. Yeah, yeah. But kind of neat to know that 1,000 years ago, they recognized this issue and were trying to do something mm-hmm. about it. Um, in medieval Europe, there were also places where the mentally ill could get help. In England, it was mostly monasteries, which provided assistance. In Germany, there were places called Narenturme. Oh, such a beautiful language. <laughs> Which means fool's towers. Oh. And some of these still exist, and they're literally just kind of like these round, tall towers where they stick oh, their, the fools? their fools. The fools. In England, most of the asylums were run by charitable organizations or the church. Mm-hmm. One of the most famal, famous was the Bethlehem Royal Hospital. Okay. Which you might have heard of Bedlam. Yeah, yeah. As being just a word for crazies. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is just pure bedlam. Yeah. Bedlam was another name for this hospital. Oh, just pure craziness. Okay. Uh, in the United States, the Quakers were some of the first people to mm-hmm. take care of the mentally ill. Um, and their main treatment was just oatmeal. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. I was like, huh, what a strange... That's oh, not true. Quakers. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, at this time, treatment in these places wasn't really great. They were more just a place to put these crazy people and get them out of the way. And they weren't really focused I mean, on treating them. Yeah, it's better than what we have now. So. Yeah. They didn't really know much about mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to treat them. Which is fair. Today, and you'll find out soon, by listening to our podcast, we mm-hmm. still don't know what's going I know. on. I so. know. Believe it or not, the brain's kind of complicated. Yeah. So, they were more just a place to like get them out of the way, get them off the streets, mm-hmm. put them somewhere. Um... In the late 1800s, during the Enlightenment period, which is basically a revolution of philosophy where people were thinking more about the mind and human nature, among other, other things. I always think Da Vinci. Da Vinci. Isn't he Renaissance? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, so I, always think, <laughs> I, always, I always think wrong. <laughs> uh, but during the Enlightenment, people were actually thinking about how to fix these mental issues instead of just shove them away. Mm-hmm. Um in the 19th century, 1800s, during this time, asylums were spreading like crazy across the Western world. They were building new ones to put people. And they had some pretty interesting methods of treatment. One of them was phrenology. Oh, is that um, the skull and, like, measuring? Mm-hmm. And you'd measure bumps, mm-hmm. and you'd measure the dimensions of your skull. There's these cool maps that you can find. It's like palm reading for your yep. forehead. Yep, and it's bogus, but yeah. <laughs> at the time they thought it was real. Yeah. Like, you could go, you get a degree in phrenology. Phrenology. And then when you died, they'd cut open your skull, and they'd look and, like, oh, you see that ridge? Yeah. yeah. That means he was an idiot. <laughs> I got, like, four of <laughs> 
another one that they did a little later was called insulin shock therapy. Oh, I know about this. Yeah. And this is where they would inject you with a very high dose of insulin, mm-hmm. which would basically make you comatose. Mm-hmm. And they do that for weeks at a time every day. And I don't know how that was supposed to help you. Um, my thought uh, on this and what seemed to work is like a lot of depression and worse finding this out now is not so much like an imbalance as much as it is like a lot of people imbalance neurotransmitters. Or something. Yeah, yeah. But the other way would be to think about it as like a uh, ingrained way of thinking and pathways that need to be reset. Hmm. One way to do that would be to put your body into shock. That's kind of what people are saying with like MDMA yeah. and psilocybin treatment. So like right? it's not entirely left field. Yeah. But yeah. And from what I was reading, there were some positive. Even today, people are like that might have been good. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was I didn't write about this, but electro thought electro shock therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people got. Mm-hmm. I think Ernest Hemingway was getting electroshock. Shock. I can't say that. Electroshock there. Electroshock there. And he wrote about that in his. Are we going to talk about note. lobotomies too? Yes, okay. that's my next one. Okay. The lobotomy. Oh, sorry, <laughs> it was right there. <laughs> first performed by a guy named Igas Moniz mm-hmm. in Portugal in 1935. Basically, they would shove two picks in your eye sockets, Gosh. and they would disconnect your frontal lobe mm-hmm. or your prefrontal cortex from the rest of your brain. Mm-hmm. And when I say disconnect. That's like a nice way of putting it. Sometimes they would just wiggle it around and just turn it into scrambled brain. Yeah, scrambled bag. And there's horrible, like, they'd pull the pick out and, like, parts of brain would fall out. Mm-hmm. And the, the, like, you, you know, so many times they'd just be brain dead after that. And it worked because they literally were like a little right. puppy. There, right. Like oh, a child. Yeah, I have a quick story about that. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the guys said, in, in favor of the, of the lobotomy, he said it reduces the complexity of psychic life, ah, which is a good way of saying it makes you so dumb you don't have <laughs> you don't problems care. anymore. Yeah, made people vegetables. Mm-hmm. Most people saw a vast decline in their emotional and intellectual abilities, mm-hmm. so they became kind of potatoes, um, as well as the ability to look after themselves. Very few people were able to re-enter society mm-hmm. after a lobotomy and function. Uh, but it, one, was so, it was toted as like a cure. Yeah. I think the Kennedy's, John F. Kennedy's mm-hmm. sister got mm-hmm. a lobotomy mm-hmm. and was just brain dead mm-hmm. for the rest of her life. Like she lived in a convalescent home until she was like 30 to sh- when she died. Wow. Um, which is awful. a long time. Really awful. I don't know why I'm going to plug this, but the dollop has a lobotomy episode. Oh, do they really? I'd love to listen to that. It's good. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. One story, a 29-year-old woman was given a lobotomy. And her doctor then described her as a smiling, lazy, and satisfactory patient with the personality of an oyster. Oh, my God. And oysters are very, very <laughs> They're known for being so vivacious yeah, yeah, and outgoing. Yeah, yeah. Gregarious little yeah, guys. Yep, yeah, they are. Happy as a clam, <laughs> yeah. content as an oyster. And um, uh, he said she would, or he said he would... Uh, reward her behavior kind of like a dog if she did something good he'd give her ice cream oh my god and he said if she did something bad he would give her smacks he'd hit her smacks that's how the way he put it i give her smacks my god yeah that's a great like just like yeah they are totally brain dead and it blows my mind to think how you could think that's a good thing so it's all i think it always comes back to like it's a good thing for other people right 
Right. You know? It's like, like when you give your kid Ritalin and they yeah. become a zombie, yeah. it's easy for you. Probably it's not great so for them. It's so great because you don't have to ever deal with them again now. Yeah. Yeah. And then you lie to yourself thinking that they're having a good old time, yeah. but they don't know the difference. It's crazy. Like, I'd rather be crazy and crazy yeah, than crazy have a lobotomy. Feel, yeah, like feel stuff. stuff be, yeah. be myself. That sounds like a hell to me, honestly. Like, live the rest of your life. Mm-hmm reduced and there's part i bet there's a little bit a time where you have some clarity sometimes oh i bet like briefly yeah i didn't used to be this way and then you lose it yeah totally have you ever had those dreams where you like can't run or Mm -hmm. something i bet it's kind of like that where you just can't quite do what you should know you can do sometimes i have like i try to wake up but Mm -hmm. the whole dream is me trying to wake up Mm -hmm. and it's scary because i can't for the life of me wake up i bet because i'm dreaming imagine if that's your reality yeah (laughs) Jesus. Oof. Another large part of asylums was eugenics. Oh, uh, okay. People thought that uh. mental illnesses were hereditary, some of which are. Yeah. So they would force sterilization. Another group who were super into eugenics, this one will kind of shock you, what, was Hitler? the Nazis. What? No way! One of the first things he did was take everyone out of the asylums uh-huh. in Germany and oh, really? kill them. Wow. Pretty horrible. Yeah. And some of these people weren't even like, they just had depression. Yeah, most a lot of the people in asylums, if I'm not, they're like, "Oh, you're a woman, go to this." Yeah, asylum. exactly. <laughs> like, you're having, you're hysterical. Yeah, like, like oh, you're uh, a lot of disabled people that mm-hmm. simply just had like a bad leg. Yeah. Oh, asylum. It's messed up. Yeah. Uh, so now we're gonna talk about just the United States. Um, in the United States, like we said with the Quakers, they were making as- asylums for mentally ill people. Mm-hmm. And in 1963, JFK, John F. Kennedy, wanted to kind of conglomerate and make it a federal government issue Mm -hmm. so he signed something called the community mental health act of 1963 Mm -hmm. and this provided federal funding for community mental health centers and research facilities so he kind of wanted to get people out of like these secluded institutions you know Mm -hmm. you think of the big scary mental asylum he didn't like that he wanted them to Mm -hmm. be more ingrained and like people who could be in society could go get help at a mm-hmm. doctor and still live and work at home. Yeah, it's a great idea, but if I know something, I think it's never worked. Right? Didn't, it didn't. There was mixed okay. results. It was better than nothing, but yeah. there were mixed. And the results. asylums were bad. The asylums were yeah. horrible. Yeah. Very bad conditions. Yeah. yeah. Geraldo Rivera, who's a huge ass now, but he had a great expose on asylums where he went in. And it's freaking crazy the stuff you see like it yeah. is like out of a horror movie yeah you go into this room and there's some crazy lady on the ground muttering and it's mm-hmm. freaky it's really freaky and what are you supposed to do when you see that like yeah it freaks you out yeah so this did help some people because i think it's easier to recover mentally when you're not in a place like that but mm-hmm. it did put a lot of people on the streets mm-hmm. so there's like mm-hmm. stories of people who are now living in tents but they were still able to go get health care mm-hmm. which is good um so uh yeah the act had mixed success in 1980 president jimmy carter signed the uh, mental health systems act after he had done a three-year commission uh three-year study that began in 1977 on how to best address the mental health crisis in the united states okay and this act basically provided more federal funds and resources to communities to improve mental health sounds good you sounds need to great. study that for three years i guess throw money at i mean it? there's more to it oh, than okay. it's not that simple i'm just being cynical because yeah. i feel like that's how everything <laughs> yeah. is let's do an investigation <laughs> and then they conclude money yeah <laughs> let's give some more money to uh it. so that was in 1980 in 1981 
president Ronald Reagan reversed everything. Oh. Uh, he, he cut funding of all that, said, you're on your own. Um, how can he... So is this like... Do you know if this was like a secret thing? Because I feel like how... Like, there's some things that I just like... Like, I feel like are against public, like, no matter what. Like, I feel like yeah. helping insane people wouldn't be a political issue. Yeah. So it's it, just like a good thing. Right. It was part of the 1981 omnibus bill, which is like uh, the budget. Okay. And so it's kind of... So it kind of slashed yep. and nobody knew. Yep. I, I actually went today and read the, like condensed version of it and you can go and it doesn't sound that bad if you don't know it's like the mental health act we're reducing that by 85 percent blah 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 and just glosses on the next thing yeah yeah so a lot of people yeah a lot of people cite this as kind of a contributing factor to the mental health crisis we see today Mm -hmm. because like we started said at the beginning people can't really go get the help that they need Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating because a lot of these problems with the people are treatable but they can't get the treatment they need. Mm-hmm. And so they're left on the street. They're left hanging. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a shame. Mm-hmm. It's really a shame. It is a shame. It's it's one of, you know, there's a few systemic problems in mm-hmm. our country. And this is a huge one. I think homelessness goes hand in hand with mental illness. Yeah. And I know there's tons of studies out there. Unfortunately, I don't have them. But you can look. And the percentage is disproportionately high. Yeah. For people that are homeless. I believe it. Yeah. Um, and like... Yeah. When do you ever see a guy that's put together talking to himself? Right. You don't. Right. Like, when you think of someone that has schizophrenia, who do you think of? A person that also is living in a tent on the street. Right. Like, and it's so easy to just say, oh, he's just crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and move along with your day. And for some, somehow think it's their fault. Exactly. <laughs> which yeah. Which is so... Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like, oh, out, like, oh, yeah. you lost the rat race. Yeah. Like, such a... Like a disgusting. Yeah. and I, I catch myself having those thoughts sometimes, mm-hmm. and it, and I have to be like, no, like. I saw something recently that I thought was just a slight tangent. I was sitting at a light. I didn't have any cash on me, mm-hmm. um, but a guy in front of me gave a homeless guy uh, standing there at the red light a dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, nice, or a five or whatever. And then the guy behind me also gave money. Oh wow! And I was like, whoa! Wow. Like, and, like, part of me just thinks, like, you know, if everybody, it's less that we don't want to, like, that was the epitome of, like, it's less that we, or they, a good example of, it's not that people don't want to help, it's just they don't think that that will help at all. Right. And I feel like, like, him giving some money was like, oh, we could do this together. Right. And, like, like he gave money, and, like, if everybody, but. Yeah. It is interesting. It is interesting. So, I haven't seen that. Like, you rarely see and then yeah. two in a row. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it gets like on a streak because if you see the person in front of you, maybe I know, like, kind of like, oh, I guess I can help. Yeah, yeah right. Two is mm. interesting. It is interesting. Um, but I guess going off of that, you know, you said uh, they can't. A lot of these things are treatable, mm-hmm. but they can't get the treatment that they need. Mm-hmm. That's very true. But your first part of the sentence wasn't true until recently, mm. until about the sixties, mm-hmm. and so. What does it mean for mental illness to be treated, and like, how are we treating it now, and where was the shift? Right. And so, right. I think we'll start dipping into that. Perfect. Um, and so, basically, nice transition. The, thank that you. was smooth. Yeah, you like that? Did you just think of that? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, let's look at how these guys could get treated, okay. and and for this, we're gonna take, um, you know, there's a lot of ways. A lot of it, 
his psychotherapy and, mm-hmm. and counseling and also like environmental conditions that need to be met. But mm-hmm. a big thing, especially for people that have severe mental illness, um, something that really helps are antipsychotics. Right. So we're going to start talking about those. Okay. All right. So antipsychotics have been especially interesting history because um, they were one of the more um, synthetic than a lot of, of the other stuff we talked about. You know, cocaine, coca leaves, mm-hmm. like pick it off, like basically mm-hmm. extract it. There yeah, it is. find what's in there and take it out. Mm-hmm. Heroin, same thing. We just take it out of the poppy. Right. Antipsychotics, not so much. Um, and so they have a really interesting story. Um, so like I always said, well, we're going to start with an organic compound. So this organic compound we're going to start with is coal tar. Coal tar. <laughs> yeah. All right. Coal tar. Yeah. So coal tar is formed during distillation of bituminous coal. Okay. And bituminous coal, just as a refresher, is, uh, results yeah oh keep going oh i I just had a thought i don't want to forget okay uh it results from uh millions of years of compression from peat moss okay yeah so there we go peat moss it's a stretch (laughs) so that's where we get all our coal from yeah well bituminous coal i don't know what the differences are but i think there's other coal from organic matter yeah like dinosaurs oh okay (laughs) right you know over millions of years okay um, anyways, coal tar is formed during this distillation process, and it results from the com- um, a whole. It, it during this process they call it coking. Have you ever heard that coking coal? I have heard that. And like, there's a lot of funny things like not that kind of coke factory. Right. right. Anyways, so coking is a process that um, you heat the coal to very high temperatures in an airless furnace, which dries off all the volatile components and uh, like coal gas and whatnot. Right. And you're left with coal tar, and a, which is kind of like a fused carbon residue. What's yes. the what's the stuff that's a little black ball, but it's not coal? You use it for a barbecue. Charcoal. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you thought now or later? When is that thought? Oh, that you wrote on your thing. I don't know. Maybe later? we should talk about it off the pod. Oh, okay. Sounds good. All right. So, <clears throat> so uh, we're doing coal tar, right? Yeah. And coal tar has tons and tons of organic compounds in it. Yeah. Um, some of the most notable are benzene, alanine, and naphthalene. Okay. Benzene is simply a six-carbon ring. It's like one of the most basic building right. blocks. Benzene is really bad for you. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it can go right through your skin because of the way it's shaped. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 every molecule usually has benzene. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of the like I had you hear a benzene ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Is, I think pure benzene is really poisonous. It is. So it is, and it's volatile mm. as well. It's in gasoline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes sense because gasoline is made from coal, right? Mm-hmm. Well, kind of. Kind of. Carbon. Carbon. Whatever. Aniline and naphthalene. Do you know what naphthalene? Naphthalene. No. Well, do you know what the smell is? No. It smells like mothballs. Huh? Have you smelled mothballs before? Yeah. Yeah. Just is there naphthalene in mouth mothballs? I don't know. <laughs> I just know it smells like that. Okay. That's what mothballs smell like. Have you smelled naphthalene? Uh, yeah, it smells like mothballs. <laughs> Have you smelled mothballs? Yeah, it smells like naphthalene. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. So, now enter old William Perkins. Perkin, maybe. Billy P. Bill, yeah, Billy P. <laughs> That's what we're calling him. No, he was born in the east of London in 1838. Good year. Yeah. 
and by the age of 14, he had enrolled in the Royal College of London for chemistry. What the hell? And don't get too excited about him. He didn't do it from hard work. He was, this was back in the time, you know, 1838, where basically, if you started young enough, you get private tutors and basically mm. get, was get he into wealthy? college. Very wealthy. I see, okay. And we'll find out soon. If I was wealthy, I'd have graduated from Harvard. Yeah. I mean, back then you would have. Seriously. I bet. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. It's not true. Oh. For me. <laughs> okay. Well, I, no, I really do think you would have. That's a big No matter advantage. how dumb you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> now this. <laughs> good one. Thanks. That was a good bird. Ouch. <laughs> so now at this point, one of the major goals of chemistry uh, departments, you know, when you enroll in chemistry, was to provide chemical synthesis for natural products. Right. So some of these reasons was because natural products were either super hard to make or come by, and a lot of them we really needed. You know, it's a finite resource, but if we could make it synthetically, that'd be awesome. Right. So two substances of interest at this time uh, were quinine mm. and the dye indigo. Quinine, obviously, is a good treatment for malaria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's good in that drink. Oh, yes. A little gin and tonic. Mm. Yep. I actually hate... What is what is it? It's uh, quinine. But what's the drink... What's the thing called? Tonic water, Oh, right? tonic water, yeah. It's the worst yeah. worst thing ever. It's just so bitter. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, quinine was of particular interest as the South American Indians had been using the bark of what's called the chichona tree. Mm-hmm. to treat malaria for many centuries no kidding so that's where we caught it wow that's why we knew it would work so we how do you think they figured that out i think a lot of back then people would just eat tons of shit and then you'd either die or get healed and that's then crazy. over the years you know like evolution you start yeah. passing it down like who thinks i've got malaria i'm gonna eat this bark well i think i'm gonna eat any bark <laughs> and then that one happened that's out. crazy you know, think about yeah, but with all the berries yeah. and all the psychoactive stuff. Yeah. Wow, I mean, a How lot of people must have died. Yeah, for eating mushrooms yeah. to figure out one didn't kill you. Yeah, and one made you. I'm woo. thankful to those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they figured it out. Thanks, guys. Um, anyways, uh, and then it was brought over from the South American Indians to by the Spanish conquistadors to uh, in, in, in Europe. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Okay. Um, you just said Spanish conquistadors. Yeah. Well, Where do you think they're from? I don't know. Spain, maybe. <laughs> okay, whoa. Sorry, that was rude. <laughs> He's angry about my joke, guys. Now he's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually brought back the drug, and the active drug was then isolated from the Chitona tree in uh, 1820. Okay. So by two French doctors, I'll give them credit, Pierre-Joseph Pelletier and Joseph Ben-Emile Caveto. Oui? Before this, were they using the bark yes, to treat malaria? just the bark. Okay. Yep. So yep. I see. So they named it quinine. So when they extracted it from the Amerindian. Now, do you know who those people are? Because I don't. Which people? Amerindian. Oh, no. Oh, okay. It's like American Indian, but Weird. together. Amerindian. Can I look it up? Yeah. So anyways, from that word, the Amerindian word for Chitona tree, which is quina quina. Oh, cool. Quinine. Very cool. <laughs> I okay. love that emoji. That's neat. <laughs> Uh, meaning barks of barks. The Amerindians is just a word for American Indians. Oh! Of all the Americas. North, South, East, West. I kind of like it. Yeah. Amerindian. Amerindian. Kind of cool. Okay, yeah. So Chichona tree, Quinaquina. Okay, all I right. like that. 
So, now starting... Oh, shit. I forgot to say... I want to say it, you know, multiple times. This is all oh, yeah. from the book Drugged. Yeah. Uh, a lot not of... Not my part. Not not Stuart's part. He's oh, an independent learner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my part is taken from Drugged by Richard J. Miller. A fantastic book. I highly recommend. There's lots of stories and pictures in it. And it's, it's one of my favorites. It so. is really fun. Like, it's written... In a good way. That's like a story. It's written really like well. Like you're being told a story. Yeah. And you've read lots of passages from it. I've probably it. read and the whole book. It's yeah, almost. almost. Yeah. And it's 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 one of my favorite books. He did a good job. And it so. intertwines like other historical events mm-hmm. with how with the mm-hmm. drugs, which I think is cool. Yeah, it's like how did drugs come to be, mm-hmm. which is like kind of our podcast. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you like our podcast, you'll love the book. Yeah. Very true. Saying. Um, even if you don't like our podcast, you'll probably like. You'll still probably like the book. <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, now starting uh, in the 19th century, the British Empire spread to all parts. You know, they're they're doing their thing. The sun never sets. Yeah, yeah. At, oh, in the British Empire. <laughs> anyways, uh, where malaria was particularly seriously problem, like as they were spreading. Mm-hmm. Um, so the availability of quinine started at a reasonable price started to become more and more of a concern. Okay. So, like, now they're going other places. And Wait, so this is spread. after they've synthesized it? Yeah. But okay. now there's, like... Okay, no. So, you need to remember, there's a difference between extraction and synthesis. Ah. Uh, so they haven't been able to synthetically create yes. it yet. And so extraction's pretty easy. Always comes before synthesis. I see. But you still need their thing. Right, you still need that bark. You basically are just making the bark into like a liquid. Yeah, just yeah. juicing the bark. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So they haven't synthesized I got you, yet. okay. Yeah. That happens a lot with things. Yeah. Right. So now... Have they synthesized cocaine? Um, I don't think or so. Or heroin? Uh, yes, heroin. Was That's syn- like most of your pharmaceuticals. Okay. Like Oxycontin okay. and stuff like that. I wonder that. why they haven't done cocaine. Uh, it's probably cheaper to... Grow the plant. Grow plant and extract. It's all about money. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, and we'll find that synthesis of quinine is really difficult. So it actually still is cheaper to extract it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a great example. Right. Yeah. Um, So uh, this was, you know, they wanted to try to synthesize it. Um, It proved to be, oh, this is my next sentence. Uh, It was ultimately only achieved in 1944. Oh, my God. A hundred years later. Wow. (laughs) They figured it out. Wow. So synthesis is a huge step. Yeah. Um, So even now, synthetic quinine is not really economical. What do they put in tonic water? Uh, I think it is quinine. It is, but how, is it synthetic or is it from the I bark? I mean, I bet it's from the bark. It's such a tiny amount, though. It's a it? tiny amount, and it's so bitter, and we don't really use, like, that anymore for treating, like, malaria, like, mm. as much as, like, we vaccinate and all that stuff. Can you right? vaccinate from malaria? Yeah, yeah. Really? You can, can't you? I don't think so. I think this is, like, Bill Gates' whole thing. So oh, really? Oh, boy. <laughs> don't oh boy why are you, why oh no i no i just like oh, okay yeah. make myself an idiot over yeah. here what's new yeah. okay Dumbass. all right <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> jesus should have never said anything um okay so now we're going to go back to perkins so i basically you know said why quinine is important so yeah, let's yeah. go back to perkins this old 14 um, year old yeah preppy little, little bitch yeah yeah exactly so uh, his mentor suggested that he should start with a coal tolerant derivative um, and start to make um, quinine, try to make quinine, synthetic quinine from coal tar. Okay. Okay. He's like, all right, whatever, dude. 
So Perkins started to experiment with a lot of different compounds in coal tar. At this yeah. time, did they know, like, molecules and no. the shapes of molecules and whatnot? So, yeah, the benzene ring, the actual structure of benzene, I think just came out. This might sound dumb, but did they, did they know about atoms? Uh... And, like, elements? God, that is a good question. At this time? I don't really know, honestly. Or was like that not Bohr? until Watson? Like Niels Bohr? What did Watson do? Watson? James Watson? He's DNA. Isn't he? Yeah, he's okay. DNA. <laughs> now that... Oh, we should probably stick to the script. <laughs> we're making, talking. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, tweet at us. Yeah. <laughs> but I am always curious, because I think it is before, and I'm curious how they mm-hmm. went about I mean, a lot of this, they just didn't know. Right, so they just do different chemical until, things to it yeah, until they and got they, what they wanted. And they you know, would go off of like qualitative things. Right. And quantitative, like weight. Uh, like you would extract right. something that you think. Right. And a good rule of thumb is if you if you got something pure, it's white. Right. Which is interesting. I know, they'd burn things. They'd they, burn, they, like, melt I know this is things. Flammable, yeah, blah, melting blah, blah. points, right. taste them. Just a bad idea. <laughs> Tastes like poison. <laughs> Tastes like death. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, but I it's, it is a good question, mm. and I know it wasn't like to this day we still can't really like like X-ray crystallography is the best way to get a molecule. Like mm. you can do NMR and stuff, but that's right. still indirect. Right. Actually, looking at a molecule takes it's it's incredibly hard still. Right. Yeah. So. Um, Anywho, he's experimenting, doing stuff, playing around in his garage. Um, and he was trying to one day oxidize the aniline, which is one of those coltar derivatives, with potassium dichromate. And this resulted in the product of a black sludge. But then Perkins tried to extract the product with alcohol and found his surprise to be a beautiful purple lilac color. Ah. Oh, isn't that nice? And being one of a fan of arts, as a lot of people back in the day were jack of all trades. That's one of my favorite colors, the purple lilac. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I would have been psyched. <laughs> yeah, he was too. He yeah. was psyched. Um, so he was intrigued, and instead of discarding, he began to investigate further. And particularly, he dyed a piece of silk cloth okay. uh, with it and observed that not only did the material turn a beautiful purple, but it also didn't wash out after several attempts. Okay. So, he thought, maybe I can commercialize this product and start ta- started talking to dye manufacturers. Okay. Maybe this is a good dye. Yeah. So, at this time, dyes were actually produced from natural sources. All dyes. Right. Um, so, for example... They're very expensive. Yes, yes. So, for example, blue was from the indigo plant, red from the root of the matter plant, yellow from saffron. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Imagine how much of a baller you'd be if you had, like, a yellow suit. I know, just like, I'm the richest man in the world. <laughs> wow. <laughs> kind of smell like saffron. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and purple from the rare mollusk, Murex. They ground up the mollusk. Like purple. the animal, a mollusk? Yeah, a mollusk. Oh, jeez. Okay. A mollusk, a Murex. Okay. Yeah. So, these colors were not only incredibly expensive... Manufacture, but they're also quite tricky. Right. And purple was exceptionally hard. Um, so people told Perkins, the dye manufacturers, if he could make one, that would be super dope. Yeah. They literally said, dude, that's super dope. That's dope as hell. <laughs> and he's like, cool. Um, so he's making this purple dye from coal? 
From Coltar. Okay. Yeah, which is pretty cheap. It is cheap for yeah, them? Yeah, okay. really Because I was going to say, isn't coal more valuable than purple dye? But I, guess I mean, not. not at this time. Not at this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, today we'd just be like, fuck those mollusks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you know he, he said if I can make it from coal tar, maybe I can make it purely synthetic. Right, right okay. So, um, And I always wonder, you know, slight tangent, what, what is... What is something that's purely synthetic? I was literally about to ask. Yeah, because like everything always has to start somewhere. Yeah, you don't just like you don't just take like even even like if you started from atoms, you'd be starting from an atom. Right. Like you'd be like, I'm gonna shoot two electrons into a neutron and get hydrogen or whatever. I would guess synthetic means you're making something from not its base component. Right. Even if it's things that aren't synthetic. Right. That you're making them with. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's just an interesting kind of thing. It is interesting. I, I think about that. Yeah, everything like, traces it, back to something organic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think. And there are true... I guess there are truly synthetic things, though. Like, that don't... I guess when you make something that doesn't exist in nature... Right. ...alone, I guess that's synthetic. Right. So, like, plastic and, like, certain metals. But even plastic came from... I know, it came from something, something. yeah. So... Eh. This kind of ties in. Maybe we can tie it into my okay, question. Sure. I was. I think I asked this a few weeks ago. Is there anything that's made for minerals in terms mm. of drugs? You're gonna ask me again. I'm gonna ask it again. I don't know. Still. But this is why I'm asking. Oh. Okay. <laughs> because lithium. Oh, is it's a, a salt. A salt, but it's still an element, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's a pure element. And salt's a, is it a mineral then? I think so. Yeah. So I don't get how lithium treats because they use that to treat. Bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Oh, oh, this is actually. We should talk about this more, but it, from what I know, mm-hmm. it's really fascinating. Um, right. So basically, you know, dopamine and all this shit. Um, they're neuromodulators, not really neurotransmission. Neurotransmission comes down to glutamate and GABA, and those are basically the main communicators. Right. And what launches GABA out of the cell? is actually calcium influx. Okay. And calcium influx um, actually allows the cell to fire. Um, and I think calcium then would be a mineral as well, right? Yeah. But you can eat calcium and it doesn't have psychoactive effect. Right, right. So um, lithium, I think, probably can... I mean, cost... a lot of calcium. Yeah. Chuck, <laughs> Look at so... my bones. Yeah. <laughs> but um, lithium can cross the blood-brain barrier, I think. So that's what makes it get into the brain. But what happens in the brain is it actually uh, replaces sodium. Okay. Um, And sodium is part of, like, the, you know, natural way to keep your brain fluctuated. Fluctuating, you know. Does this have anything to do with if you put salt in water, it's more conductive to electricity? Um, Yes, pretty much. So is it almost like it's conductive because sodium is a conductive element? Yeah. So it's actually – so sodium actually creates this – the electro potential, you know, electrochemical uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. potential in your brain. Right. It's sodium, potassium, and calcium. Okay. And chloride. And you have this mix always, right? And the thought is that um, people with bipolar disorder, the sodium actually is too good of a messenger, mm. right? The sodium, it, because it, your emotions are so high, you're so high and low, it's mm-hmm. too strong either way. Right. And it fluctuates too fast. Right. So, the lithium is actually replacing the sodium 
and it's worse at doing what the sodium should do. Right. But your body thinks it's the same. Right. So it messages, it's like slower. Okay. And that's my best understanding. That's pretty good. But we should go into it because yeah. it's really cool. I've always been fascinated by how, because like, it's just lithium, mm-hmm. how it's an element that they're using to treat all these people. I have been too. Like I asked myself the question and that's the answer I found. Yeah. Which seems plausible. Uh, you got me. But... Yeah. Do they still use lithium? They do. It's still an effective disorder? treatment. Yes. Nice. That's very cool. <clears throat> it's, it's one of the most effective. If I just like found a lithium deposit, could that treat it? Or does it have to be somehow processed? No, it could be elemental lithium. That's crazy. Yeah, you can go get it at the store right now. So is it bad for normal people to eat lithium then? Probably. It probably would kind of tone you down. That's so wild. So, like, you could probably use it if you were, like, maybe, like, a little hyperactive. Right. Or, but, you know, you don't want to be treating yourself. But, yeah, it is crazy. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I think it's probably the unique way that lithium can get in the blood-brain barrier. Because mm-hmm. if not... You know, a lot of things would be messing us up. Everything right. we eat would right. be crazy. It just doesn't go. It just go doesn't in there. cross. Right. So lithium must be special. Sometimes. That's interesting. Yeah, but we'll go go into that someday. Right. Um, that was my question. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Cool. Yeah. So, um, boy, where were we? No idea. Oh, he's making dye. No. He's trying to synthesize it. <laughs> uh, so then he dropped out of college because he's like, "Damn, this dye thing, I think will work." Uh, and he wanted to find some funding to make the new die. Right. So like all of us that we do, we picked ourselves up by our bootstraps, started to work really hard, and asked money from our dad. It's <laughs> <laughs> a small loan of a million dollars. I know, exactly. Um, so he got money from his dad and voila, started his own manufacturing company and got nice. super rich. Crazy, wow. huh? Nice. Anyways, so Perkins started to make this new die in a factory that daddy paid for is what my <laughs> notes say. <laughs> which I, um and he started naming the dye. Would you like to take a guess? This is a purple lilac kind of color. Lilac. No, <laughs> come on. It's a. It's like a thing you know. Uh, lavender. Uh, no. Give me a hint. Uh, it starts with an well, an M. M. Yeah. No idea. Really? No. Not even with that. No. I would think like you could go with like magenta. Oh, magenta. But yeah. it's not. It's mauve. I've never heard You've of You've never mauve. heard of mauve? Never in my mauve life. Madness? I've never gotten that. What the hell is mauve? It's a beautiful purple. <laughs> I'm looking at Look it up. Look up mauve, guys. Mauve. Should have our background be mauve on our uh, trip through time. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how, how you spell say. mauve. M-A-U-V-E. And it's from the uh, French mauvein. Um, and so that's oh, what that he is named a nice it color. after. Yeah? yeah, it's nice. So it's French from the Mallow Fowler, which is precisely this color. Right. So, um, <clears throat> also just a small aside to keep in in uh, in your head: mauvane A, which is the active compound uh, that makes this color. It's has three fused rings, also known as a tricyclic ring system. Mm. This is going to be important for later. Okay. There's something about tricyclic ring systems that our body is highly sensitive to. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, soon there was synthetic versions of dyes coming out all around the world. The cat was out of the bag, for sure. Uh, that was definitely from Richard Miller, so. The cat out of the bag? Yeah. That so. sounds like something he'd write. He, he, I, I like I know his writing, now. yeah. Uh, he also goes, and so on, after mm-hmm. everything. So, people stole this guy's invention no no now people were like oh shit you can make synthetic dyes from coal uh, tar we're gonna start looking at other shit oh uh, okay so 
Um, all of the so next big success was a magenta dye called Fuchsine, oh, which I think is fuchsia. fuchsia. Yeah, which is kind of neat. I like a fuchsia. Um, invented in French. French. He <laughs> <laughs> was invented in French, not France. In France. France. <laughs> you know, French fries. Um, and then over the next few years, it followed. Um, New dyes of every single shade. We had Hoffman's Violet, right. Bismarck Brown, oh. Alanine Black, oh. Malachite, Malachite Green. Ah. You heard that? Uh-huh. Uh, Congo Red. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably because of the... Uh, do you think... I don't know what that's from. Congo Red. Like blood? Oh, like God. Congo? Like I don't violent? know. I don't think so. Congo Red. This sounds cool. Ooh, it is pretty cool. Alanine. We talked about alanine. Yeah, we just did. So, like, and they made the black from... I feel like a lazy guy. Remember when we were, like, it made a black sludge and they extracted without alcohol? Yeah. What if the guy just made the black sludge? He's like, it's black, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's my dog. It's that black. <laughs> it may be. Um, okay. So, anyways, we saw huge strides um, starting with these dyes. And nice. so, especially in Germany. Of course. So, so Germany really started picking up the dye industry, and Germany was uh, found chemistry, unlike most of the other countries, to be very practical. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, a lot of this time, people thought chemistry was just something fun to do, hmm. like philosophy. Oh. Ooh, burn! <laughs> <Ice>. <laughs> no. um, but now chemistry is actually being coming practical, right? And like useful. For and by practical, I mean you can make money make off money. of it, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, so they start popping up everywhere, giant factories, right. uh, including Bayer. Right. Uh, Bayer. Bayer. B-A-Y-E-R. Mm-hmm. Guys that make aspirin. They make really good aspirin. Yeah, they do. Eggfa. <laughs> okay. A, uh, uh, and B-A-S-F. Huh. It stands for a long German. Do you have written down? No. I don't. I don't. Um, and uh, so then... This was also one of the first times that pharma or ooh, oh, excuse me, <laughs> chemical companies, dye companies, started um, teaming up with people in academia. Mm-hmm. So this is some of the first time where each of these companies had big scientists backing them. Okay, and they were actually like, what? Do you from, know what date we're talking about here? Ooh, around eighteen late eighteen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, eighteen eighties, nineties. Okay, yeah. Um. So they could discuss now, this was kind of been the beginning of the German uh, revolution of chemistry. Uh, and so much so that Perkins went there as well. Um, and because it's just it's, it's booming. Yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, he, he had so much success with mauve. Uh, my thing says mobs. <laughs> <laughs> he decided to try another dye. Um, and this one came from uh, the red dye. Traditionally, came from the root of the matter uh, plant, but now he wanted to make a new synthesis, um, and he had another great success. Uh, and so he started looking at these, and he went into uh, alizarin, alizarin crimson. You ever heard of that? Never. Oh, you never painted with Bob Ross. Never. He always has a little bit of alizarin crimson. <laughs> Is that like for the sunset? Yeah, yeah. He likes it. It's a red. Mm. Um, I think Malachite Green too. Mm. Anyways, uh, soon the great German chemist Adolf von Baer. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 
uh, who head of the bear company. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, <laughs> he was involved in numerous other great discoveries. Won the Nobel Prize in wow. 1905 wow. for first his work on synthetic organic dyes. Wow. Why were dyes such a big deal? I mean, before, you know, before this was all natural stuff, and like I think this is when like linens are really getting like. Are they using this for? I'm imagining this being used for clothes. A lot of I think a lot of it, it? and a lot of it right now. This is the first time, and the book goes into this pretty well. Like, what? Why dyes? Yeah. Um, and he talks about like this is kind of the first time of like, you know, a lot of this was in Paris and France and Uh stuff. It's like the fashion industry started. And, like, everybody wanted to, like, be Queen Victoria. Right. And, like, apparently she, like, wore a mob dress. And right. And, like, mob was in. And know? do you think it was a bigger deal because it was hard to get these dyes? I think so. It's like the yeah. yellow one we were talking about. If you saw a guy with a yellow shirt, you're it's like... It's a status symbol, I, I think. See. And we just take it for granted now because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of these like, guys. Like, oh, shit, look at his blue pants. Like, <laughs> <I never laughs> he think... must be rolling in it. I never think that. Yeah. <laughs> I always think that. I'm like, whoa, got, blue. That's a blue pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. Damn. <laughs> that's very interesting. It wow. is a weird. It is a weird time. And then yeah. these were also like, like, I. It's funny because we're like kind of spoiled, but like, like we have every color imaginable with yeah. technology. But imagine seeing a new color, like yeah, right. Whoa, it's right. like purple, but not man. Right. It's like brand new. That's crazy. And then like some fashion statement wears it. So right. I think it's kind of that. There's a lot of uh, right. Clothing. But now we can get any color. It all costs the same. Yeah, pretty much. And we just do, 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 do. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Anywho, um, so. He made he he basically Adolf uh, Van Bye. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, let's not, use, let's not use his uh, let's not use his first name. Uh, made uh, <laughs> made indigo dye, which really made that Nobel Prize. Uh, one got a Nobel Prize. One started <laughs> not so good not stuff. Not so much. Okay, what is indigo? A blue? Indigo is a blue. It's what all genes are made. And to go die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, at this, I mean, it's the color of denim, pretty much. Even okay. though denim, yeah. Denim. Denim. <laughs> it's just denim, denim. Uh, <laughs> we're off the rails. <laughs> so, at this time, uh, in the 1880s, Germany also had some excellent analyte uh, derivatives, aniline derivatives. Uh, they were really looking into that were anti pyretics. Got rid of the pirates? Close. No burn. Ah, no burn. Yeah. <laughs> Pyro burn. Yeah. yeah. So it's actually fever reducing. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So that's what antipyretic is. Wait, can you scoot back before you talk about the <laughs> anti? What did they do that made antipyretics? Oh, they were also looking at aniline derivatives at the same time. This okay. is from the coal tar. Okay. So we're still in this like coal tar where like, hey, look at this coal tar. We it's like a tons of chemicals. Wow, we're making dye, and then at the same time. You know, we're I also see. doing some other I stuff. See. Okay, so they weren't getting these from dye. They're getting no, these they're from still dye. from coal tar. Gotcha. Yeah, the aniline derivative. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so uh, properties. So I mean, it's basically like stepping into like, hey, maybe these dyes also have. Right. That's right? what I'm hoping. They're yeah. like, oh, indigo cures cancer, depression. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Soon. Um, so, antipyrene was synthesized by Ludwig Knorr in 1884. While trying to make quinine, they're really on that quinine. They really wanted, they wanted the to make it. A lot of people, um, and then he also made the molecule antifebrin, which was made and marketed for the same purposes. And eventually, there was a drug called 
phenylacetin that came out that was way better on your stomach. The other okay. two were pretty awful. Um, but so now Bayer was not just doing chemical dyes because this was the Bayer company still. Mm-hmm. They were not just doing chemical dyes. They were also making now pharmaceuticals. Mm. So this is the jump for like from coal tar, they started making new shit. Right. And they're like, now we're a pharmaceutical company. Wow. <laughs> so, 1880s. Wow. That um, kind of reminds me of, like, um, if you know of, like, early Xerox. Oh, no. How Xerox, you know, makes copiers. Yeah, yeah. They're the first company that made a, a graphical user interface. Oh. But at the time, they didn't realize how big that would be. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of these guys. Like they made crazy. a die, but they didn't realize how yeah. Oh, you could be. try this. But it sounds yeah. like they kind of did. Yeah, I guess so. it's crazy. Um, anyways, there was also a lot of drugs. It's important to note um, that came out in the uh, 1930s as well. Before mm-hmm. we dip into that, seems like a big stuff. boom. 30s. Yeah, yeah. It, this is kind of known like this time is known as like the and then late and I guess in the 60s later. But, like, the pharmaceutical revolution. Right. Where we realized that mental problems could be, like, really helped by pharmaceuticals. Where before, people would say you're crazy if you were trying to treat stuff with medicine right, for right. the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they made a, a red azodye in the 1930s called, ready? <clears throat> Sulfamidod... Oh, Jesus. So, <laughs> that's like an Eminem. <laughs> oh boy, that's our Eminem. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, let me read uh, Sofa Sofa Midod Chrysoidide. Okay. There you go. Okay. All right. Also known as Protosil Red. Oh. So it was a dye. It's called that uh, by Derek, Garrett Dogmat and his colleagues, also working at Bayer. Um, they found that it protects uh, mice from a normally fatal streptococcal infection. Strep. So they found that this actually turns into the prodrug. It's a prodrug in your body. And it turns in and metabolizes in vivo right through your liver uh, to the anti- active antimicrobial agent sulfenalamide, which mm-hmm. you may have heard. All the sulfa compounds, huge thing because it was like the first time we do antibiotics. Okay. Okay. So... Now we're going to go back to 1876. So we're just like take, talking about like people making dyes. Right. Dyes to medicine. Right. right? So the French Hendrik Caro at BASF, BASF mm-hmm. um, synthesized the dimethylene blue. You I heard of that? Blue. It's a very common thing in science still Never. today. No. Okay. Is that what they used to dye like when they do x-rays and stuff? Uh, no, I don't think okay. so. Maybe. What's the one you were telling me about how they... they oh, it's a radioactive element. Oh, yeah, it's radioactive. To do, scans. like, pet scans yeah. and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then, also, Bernstein then investigated the structure of methylene blue and other related dyes, and he suspected that the presence of a then-unknown phenothiazine structure. Dun-dun-dun. He didn't know mm-hmm. what it was, though. So these substances went on to prepare phenothiazine. Right. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. Now, it's important to note that this phenothiazine structure was hiding that same tricyclic molecule that we talked about before. And also, mob had. So. Mm. Mm. The tricyclic structure mm-hmm. is important. Okay, so <clears throat> switching gears a little bit, um, you can also not just dye things. 
uh, like stains, right? A, a dye could not just do textiles. Mm-hmm. So dyes actually also found a huge thing in the later half of the 19th century uh, where they could um, dye biological tissues, right. stained tissues, right, right. and microorganisms. So the Danish biologist Graham, you ever heard of Graham positive, Graham negative staining? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's a very common thing in biology. Okay. You can say cells are Graham negative, Graham positive. Okay. So they developed a precise staining system for microbes. Um, so you can like classify cells by that, basically. Um, so now the only way um, this could work, though, if it like stained selectively, right? Like, it only stained certain things in the cell. Hmm. And only certain cells. It didn't hmm. just stay in every cell you put it in. Interesting. So, like, it has to have some sort of selectivity, right? Right. So the stain must be binding to something? Right. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, <clears throat> so, Pierre, uh, soon, a scientist pioneered by, like, Paul Eric, he started to experiment with methylene blue as a dye as well, and found that, for example, when it was injected into animals, it selectively stained nerve cells. Hmm. So in 1891, Ehrlich also discovered that methylene blue was helpful in patients suffering from malaria, hmm. which is what they are trying to use quinine from. Right. So they were probably onto something with trying to get quinine from, it probably has a similar structure. Right, right. Um, it suggested that drugs of this type might act like a magic bullet for certain circumstances, you know, uh-huh. like attached to certain things. Um, so now, um, especially during World War II, Perkins' best efforts for quinine was not credibly synthesized. And eventually, methylene blue was used as a substitute for the anti-malarial drug. Wait, is Perkins the same guy we talked same about that went guy. to school at 14? Mm-hmm. He's still alive in World War II? He was born in 1838? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's on this is a hundred and five year old man. <laughs> well, that can't be right. Huh. Sorry, I'm confused. Or maybe it's just. Oh saying, no! Sorry. Yeah, like, I was saying besides besides Perkins' best efforts, quinine still wasn't synthesizable. I, he's okay. dead. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in World War Two, this was especially a problem. I there's, see. Uh, there's yeah malaria. Um, And eventually, methylene blue was then used to try to treat the anti-malarial drug as an anti-malarial drug. Um, So the German chemists thought maybe they could try to improve on methylene blue, make it better, right? So Schulman and his colleagues at Bayer uh, began synthesizing analogs of methylene blue and found that the dimethylaminoethyl derivative was more potent than the parent dye and also had serious side effects (laughs) So, Schussmann and his colleagues preserved, uh, persevered by attaching similar amino alpha side chains to other tricyclic ring systems. And eventually, in 1931, synthesized mepocrine, or quinacrine. Okay. Quinacrine? Quina? Right. An effective and for many years widely used anti-malarial drug. <laughs> I've been drinking. Um, and no, I haven't. Um, Not a drop. Uh, but before we go any further, like all things, we have to stop our drug discovery. We're so rudely interrupted. No. 
because there is a war going on. God darn it. So let's talk a little bit about that, huh, Stuart? Let's talk about that. We're having great progress on the pharmaceutical side. Just chugging along. And they were really making, like, huge leaps and bounds. And then this happened. Well, we're going to go... Back Whoops, it up. Not a good segue. Oh, it was a great segue. All right. But first, let's back up a little right, bit. All right, all right. We're going to talk about our man, Carl Duisberg. He was <laughs> Duisberg? Duisberg. He was the president of Bayer. Oh. Uh, okay. The pharmaceutical company. And he was looking around at other companies, and he was specifically looking at the American oil companies. Oh. And they had created a cartel, which where they had all banded together. Was it called Enron? No. Or no, uh, OPEC? OPEC, pretty much. I don't think it was yet, but pretty much the same thing. Um, and they were, they were all these American oil companies were working together to control the price and production, or I guess production and therefore price, of oil. And he thought we could get all of these German pharmaceutical, com- pharmaceutical companies together, and together we can control production and price of our goods. Oh. Why, instead of competing against each other, work mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. kick ass. Mm-hmm. So he got, in 1925, Bayer, B-A-S-F, Hoekst, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Couldn't pronounce it then either. All the big players. (laughs) Agfa. And they formed a new pharmaceutical giant called IG Farben. Yes. Which stands for, see, I'm going to say the German word. I'm not scared of it. All right. Interessen Gemeinschaft Farbenindustrie. (laughs) <laughs> Whoa. Farben industry. Well, that one turned English at the end. The rest in Gemeinschaft. Farben. Gemeinschaft. And so, yeah, 1925, you created this badass big mm-hmm. big conglomerate of all these countries, and they were doing fantastically. Yeah. They were putting pouring money into research. Like mm-hmm. Randall said, they were really developing a lot of new things. It was amazing. This was what some would say the first like pharmaceutical revolution yeah exactly and they were making leaps and bounds and and crazies and then like Randall said the war came along Mm -hmm. specifically this little douchebag named Adolf Hitler not Adolf von (laughs) Baer and uh, Hitler realized how important a company like IG Farben was going to be for his war efforts Mm -hmm. because he knew that they were able to synthesize certain things which were (coughs) Zyklon B Zyklon B which is a horrible thing they used for a to gas people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he also realized there were certain things he would not be able to get physically that he wanted produced synthetically like mm-hmm. rubber uh, yeah he rubber. couldn't he couldn't get down to the rubber plant so he mm-hmm. wanted them to synthesize rubber um so unfortunately the nazis pretty much took control and nationalized all of these big companies they wow. they took control of ig farben and since hitler was in control of it he "Quote unquote," Aryanized the company, mm. which means he removed all the Jewish employees, mm-hmm. which was a shame because a lot of the, you know, a lot yeah, of the good I bet employees some were Jewish prominent people. scientists. Some really good prominent scientists. To be Jewish. Um, the old guard, quote unquote, of the company, people like the president Karl Duisberg and mm-hmm. others, did not like Hitler. They were not jived to anti-Semitism. <laughs> Dude, I'm not jived to that. <laughs> I'm not <about> <laughs> And so they either... Is that, the <laughs> is that book what they it? said? That's what the book said? No, this is what oh, the book said. They oh. either died or retired. Oh, right. The part I thought was funny earlier. I don't like this. I'm going to go die. I'm going to go die. Um, <laughs> it's so dramatic. Die. <laughs> um, and so the people in charge of IG Farben were no longer there. So 
Instead, the people who replaced them were hardcore Nazis. Oh. And these people weren't very good at run, running a pharmaceutical company. No way. Company. Is it maybe because they're Nazis? Yeah, they're good at being hateful bigots, but yeah. they're not good at running a company. Okay. Interesting. So the focus of IG Farben shifted from research, this amazing mm-hmm. research they were doing, yeah. and instead it shifted towards supplying the war machine. Right. Specifically things like producing synthetic rubber, mm-hmm. which they were kind of able to do. It was really hard, isn't it? Really hard. Yeah. Really uh, labor-intensive. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for that labor, they used slave labor oh from the God. concentration camps. Wow, we just had a great thing going I was talking about. Now I know. It just just it all. in like years, to like two years, goes all downhill. And they used, uh, it, it's estimated that up to 100,000 prisoners, Jewish prisoners, died working for ig Farben. my god and you don't hear that no I mean, you hear about all the concentration camps yeah like... and it's because they were exposed to horrible chemicals yeah. horrible working conditions yeah mm. there's no like uh no osha, OSHA. Then. Yeah. yeah oh um yeah so after the war ended ig farben was uh liquidated and broken up into several different companies mm-hmm. um companies we still know today such as Bayer. They mm-hmm. still make a lot of things. They're still a pretty good company, I think, right? Yeah. Like, do they make anything new anymore? Or do they just... Um, nothing I know of. Coasting on aspirin. I think they're coasting on that aspirin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. And that kind of ended this amazing, like, mm-hmm. push of research and development. At least it didn't It didn't end it, but it really... It staggered it back. Yeah. For sure. Because things were, like, flying. We were getting up to speed, and then... Boom. Yeah. And we'll see, Cut like, short. what's the year right now? 45, 1945-ish. Yeah. And we'll see that, like, we got set back, like, then it starts, we start making discoveries again in the 60s. Like, we got yeah. set 15 back. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting um, to me. Because at some things, the war advanced technology mm-hmm. really quickly. Yeah. But in some things, it stunted it. It's, yeah. It's, it's wild. It's interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of the history of what happened to the these companies that were making incredible rapid growth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thank hitler for stopping yeah. that. so i mean i wanted to <clears throat> just have you jump in there too because i think you know it may have seemed uh, abrupt abrupt that we were talking about all this great progress and mm-hmm. all of a sudden but i think that's how it felt yeah as you were the head of the company yeah i bet and like you were a scientist there making great discoveries yeah. and all of a sudden now there's a war going yeah and on. some guys like just make rubber yeah it's like oh man yeah and then, you know, get liquidated and stuff. So, yeah. Um, I think that's a good stopping place. Yeah. But we're going to bring up, after we do Old Picard, mm-hmm. uh, I talk about it next week. The week after, I think we're we'll get back into the story about antipsychotics. So, mm-hmm. you know, we went from identifying the problem. Uh, there's a lot of psychotic people. They need help. Mm-hmm. We need to help them. There's. It's not only a like personal issue for people but it's also huge social impacts mm-hmm. economic impacts um to okay let's start finding some treatment for this one of those being pharmaceuticals and kind of realize well i don't know when this happened but realizing that a mental illness could be treated just mm-hmm. like a physical illness which is a huge thing that yeah. didn't happen yeah so we started to figure that out um and part of this came by you know like anti-malarial and we we now got okay how do we get to these pharmaceuticals well Started with our good friend Coltar. Yeah. And we went through dyes. And now from the dyes, we're now making stuff that works as drugs. And started making from chemical companies to pharmaceutical companies. And now we're going to continue on there after our brief stint after the war. Wow. So there you go. Cool. That's all I got. Yeah. 
Hope you enjoyed our episode. It's pretty long, isn't it? An hour ten. Oh, not as bad. Not so I bad. We were talking for like two hours. No, not too bad. All right. I don't, yeah, that was a fun one. Cool. All right. As always, I hope everyone's staying safe. Yeah. Staying healthy. Yeah. Staying cool. Staying cool. Yeah, it's a hundred here today. Yeah, it's gonna be around now. Nice. Yeah. All right. All Catch right. you next week. Yeah. See you later. Bye.